You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. Great deal going on right now. Bet on the UFC fights tonight. It doesn't even matter who wins. You get $100 in free plays. you got to be a new customer. All right. With John Schuster, William Brad Alice, I am merely Mike Luke in the left-hand corner. Shoe, what was the final score again? Uh, 89 to 61, 89 to 61. The cats take care of business on uh, senior night right here. This was a, this was, this was a fitting send off for the regular season for these guys and that they shot 63% from the field. They broke, uh, uh, they entered the top four in all time season assist marks. Hard to believe that, uh, those other three were, uh, Ludols and not Sean Miller teams. And, you know, just watching what you saw out there, I thought this was a fitting send-off there, guys. Who wants to go first? Uh, if you don't mind, I'll I'll launch, and then, you know, they save the best for last when it comes to Brad Alice. So uh, this was uh, – when, when you get – when you have a good season and a really good fan base, uh, games like this are very memorable and a lot of fun. And we've seen a lot of those conclusions at McHale that have gone very well and have been very memorable moments for players who have performed for the last time at McHale Center. And there was a lot of that tonight, which was nice. And it was a fitting send-off, a lot of uh, numbers that Arizona was able to take care of business on. Everybody got to play. The guys who were leaving got uh, excellent standing ovations. It all went very well. But in addition to being a reflection of an excellent season and recognition of that by a good fan base, there were portions of this game that were that also act as acted as a harbinger and a launching pad for what this harbinger program could what? be even next year. When it's a harbinger, that's all you needed to be, Mike Luke. Uh, so there were two guys, the Noel kid and the ball kid. Right. Holy bleep. And if Arizona can keep a lot of its roster next year, the length for that team defensively heading into 22 and 23 is absolutely eerie. Uh, that, 
I don't know if you can play much better defense than this team already does, but that's a team that could certainly, I think, push them a little bit. And I like seeing their performances as well. Two other guys who don't get a lot of playing time and certainly aren't going to play a lot come tournament time either that looked really good and give you a good feeling about what the future of Arizona basketball is in addition to what still hopefully lays ahead for Arizona in the remainder of the year. William? Yeah, you know, you you hope, I guess, that your only significant loss is going to be Kyer and Matherin. But if you do lose Dallin Terry, you know, at least from a, a build standpoint, it looks like Noel can come in and help out. Um, obviously, you're bringing in uh, the big kid from Phoenix, which will give you m- even more depth on the front line, assuming you don't lose anyone there. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Mike, I saw you tweet out mm, 10 minutes before it happened. Everyone on this team can pass. Yeah. And then ball comes in and does a no look down the lane. Um, Yeah. I mean, we've heard the reports of ball. What is he? Barely 18. Mm -hmm. Um, You called for his insertion into the rotation, William. You did last game. I wanted him to play a few minutes at the end of the first half. I didn't think he's going to come in with six minutes gone by. But I think, you know, they're looking ahead to the tournament. This is a team that has played several games this week already. Might play three and three. Uh, next weekend so if yeah they basically bought their guys you know uh they they pulled the starters basically with what five minutes left which is really early uh you get ball out there you know giving some spot minutes to get those you know other uh, guards and wing players a break and um you know it sounds funny but five minutes here five minutes there that 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 could you know if you can do that a few times next weekend as well uh then maybe there's a slight adjustment in the the grand scheme of things is a lot no but it's nice to get it where you can get it can we talk a little bit now superfly 247 a great name right there says name an arizona player who has improved more than ballo from game one through the final game of the season chris weber jr he's become a stud well if he turns out to be chris weber i think that we will be more than okay with this that said my mom is not, and you know what? Mom's not watching yet because she's at the game, so she'll yell at me afterwards for saying this. But my mom was not a DeAndre Ayton fan. And I only tell you this, and I use this phrase that our good friend Kevin Woodman would always say. I tell you this to tell you that. She says, remember when I told you that Ayton wasn't that good? And I said, yes, mother. And she says, Ballo's much better than him. Now, I don't go that far. I, I'm not going to say that Ballo is going to be the first pick in the draft. But... Well, uh, is a problem right there. And you can tell this, the fans love Ballow. We love Ballow. He's got to be, at least for me, maybe the surprise of the season. And I don't know that there's many better bigs in the conference outside of, you know, maybe Christian Coloco. There's just not many of them. Well, he's just built different. And you can, I think, say that about all of Arizona bigs. There's not another Coloco in the conference. There's really not another Tabellus in the conference. Right. Um, Balo and Balo's just a big grown man. I mean, he's is at twenty. He's built like a a ten year NBA pro. I mean, he's he's built like Mark West. If you remember Mark West, oh yeah, Phoenix Sun uh, baby. You know, maybe uh, you know he almost reminds me a little. Remember Yinkadare of George Washington, who (laughs) just beat people. Chris Webber from a build standpoint is not a bad comparison, but Chris Webber, no offense to Omar Balo, but Webber could shoot. Uh, Weber could be you know, a little more he athletic post moves. Basketball yeah. came easier for him. Balo is just physically imposing, but now he's starting to figure out the game of basketball. 
he is finding ways to get open to get those passes. Um, you know, while his finishing ability is still primarily predicated on, on dunking the ball or giving the little short, you know, bunny put back, he's able to do things that other guys haven't been able to do in terms of getting open, finding ways. And that's, I think, something we have to say about this team as well. Shu and I remember some of those really good Arizona teams that still, they couldn't find a way to get Channing Fry the ball down low. Right. Even Isaiah Fox, who is, again, nowhere near some of these days. But even with some really good passers, they had trouble at times finding those guys. It's no wonder right. Channing Fry developed a three-point shot in the NBA because he couldn't get the ball sometimes. <laughs> this team, with the last game, maybe is the exception where they were forcing the ball inside. They do a pretty good job finding their bigs inside. All right, real quick, Steve Hernandez, and I put this out on Twitter, and uh, I want to get your – John Schuster is a man that hates comparisons. That uh, I love comparisons. Generally, comparisons, as my dad said, is the uh, – um, you compare things when you don't have a leg to stand on. So, Dad, you're basically putting me down right there. Fair enough. That's what but, dads do. Yeah, that Ben Matherin, I think there's a good question. Has there been a better two-guard than Ben Matherin? If so, who comes to mind? I put this out on Twitter a while – or couple days ago and I said that I think he's the best perimeter player that we've had here since Jared Bayless um and you know he's better than he's better than Nick Johnson he's better than McConnell and granted different positions I get all that but when you go back I think you got to go back about 12 13 years to find a perimeter guy that's as good as Benedict Matherin shoe and I guess to some degree it's not a bad thing in that uh, you've suggested that this is the best Arizona team that we've perhaps seen in close to 20 years. So right. to a large degree from position to position, a lot of that makes sense. I would like to say, however, that from a comparison standpoint, your respect to both your mother and your father in informal conversation and over the air is among the best among DraftKings personnel that I've heard. And I don't know that anybody else comes to comparison in that very important category. <laughs> so regardless of whether... Uh, Matherin is the best two guard that we've seen in the last two decades at the U of A. He very well may be, but Matherin has a long way to go, at least in a public forum, to be as appropriately respectful. You as sounded like our guy Tony Jamino right there. <laughs> Did I? Yes. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Jamino, I would take that as a compliment if I sounded somewhat like Mr. Jamino. Brad, what do you what do you think about that? Where do you when you look at when you go back, you know, where do you where, where does Matherin rank for you? I guess for lack of a better term, because we're talking this is going to be the last time we see, we see him at McHale. I think his legacy is still to be determined. Um, obviously, not playing in last year's tournament hurts him. Obviously, he still has somewhere between two and nine games left. Um, and when you said that, I'm like, no. But now I'm trying to think. Miller did not have a better two guard that I can think of. Um, you know, you look at it, Nick Johnson, no. Right. Um, you know, Stanley Johnson, even though was he a two or a three? No. Alonzo Trier, no. Right. Um, yeah. And that's interesting, got- Brad. You just mentioned three guys there who, when they came into the program, uh, were ranked, I believe, higher, got more notoriety and I think a lot of folks had better hope for them and that hope just never materialized for one way or another. And as a, and, and conversely, Matherin certainly has uh, pieced together a very impressive sophomore. The season. irony, if you want to go with the best three, two guards, maybe four of since 2000, three of them were somewhat undervalued. You Bayless was a five-star 
no, no, no dispute there. Uh, Gilbert Arenas was a borderline three star, right? Back, um, Salim was a legit four star, but what was he, 50 to 70? He wasn't a McDonald's kid by any no. Strength. And then right. you've got Mathern again, and the international is so tough to, to judge. But you look at all these five star two guards or combo guards that Miller used to recruit. You know, Trier was a very good player. You look at Trier's numbers, and, and right. they're very good. If he hits the shot against Xavier, we're talking about him in a very different tone because he took over that game. But Kobe Simmons was a disappointment. Raleigh Alkins. Raleigh Alkins was a disappointment. Uh, you know, I guess you could make a case for Kadeem Allen, but he's way more of a Dallin Terry type than he was uh, a Ben Mather. Yeah, Mather and I think, again, Arizona plays five more games this season. Right. Right. Um, and maybe we're talking about Matherin in, in some hushed tones because it's probably, you know, Josh Green wasn't here long enough. And that team didn't do anything um, because of COVID. So, yeah, I think you can really talk about Matherin with some of the better guys. And, and you know, when you're talking talking great two guards at Arizona, when you're suddenly talking about the Khalid Reeves and the Gilbert Arenases and uh, right. Some guys like that, that's some rarefied air, at least as a college basketball player. Right. Let's talk about Tommy Lloyd being the right man at the right time. But you know what's also the right thing at the right time is the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Code word PHNX. You got fights going on tonight. Schuster, you uh, you watch UFC. William, do you watch UFC? Not really. Yeah, me neither. Okay, but Schuster, are you betting on these fights tonight? Oh, uh, Maybe. We'll see. Okay, so what would your DraftKings pick of the week be if you uh, had to bet on one of the well, fights? I, uh, the favorite. Uh, Colby, in the, Co um, Colby Kai Covington? Yeah. Well, but they, I mean, you you just showcased your knowledge very impressively right there. Uh, I I haven't gotten word from my uh, UFC uh, your, MMA your source on the ground? insider uh, on what direction I uh, am supposed to go here. I have reached out but have not yet gotten a uh, firm uh, reply. So maybe there are some issues on the ground and uh, he's attempting to get whatever information he can before passing it along. All right. I'll give you, I'll give you information not to, 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 to bet on, but I'll go with Mads Vidal just because he's, he's been in AEW. Uh, I, Cause I, I, why I don't like MMA. <laughs> I like pro wrestling. I'll go with the guy who has wrestled a pro wrestling match. So give me Mads Vidal. Okay, so you've got uh, Arizona only, 21 and up. Eligibility restrictions apply. you got a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. They'll get you right back on your feet. All right, Tommy Lloyd, right man, right time. The, every This guy has literally hit every right button with this team this year. We've talked about it at nauseum about how, you know, this team is, they're fast, they're playing loose. Every You, you love everything about it. But the maturation is I think of each player individually, I think is something that we wouldn't have seen. Now, listen, Miller wasn't a bad coach, not saying that, but this team, and they would have been good. They wouldn't have been like this. And I, I think we can use Dalen Terry as an example here. I don't know that he would have known what to do with Dalen Terry. I think you could almost see him just putting him in a Dylan Smith type role and just having him stay in the corner, not doing much. Lloyd knows that this guy can play. Bruno, stop. <laughs> Bruno agrees. Yes. Bruno agrees that Tommy Lloyd is indeed the right man. So you've got a you've got a guy in Dalen Terry who you know he's not a good shooter. We know that right now. 
but he can dribble the ball. He can get into the paint. He's got a great feel for the game. He's a guy that I don't think Miller would have known what to do. Tommy Lloyd has come in here and knows exactly what to do with these two type of guys, fellas. Tommy uh, Lloyd is the right guy, period. Doesn't really yeah. matter what time. Okay, fair this enough. Hap this happens to be the time when Tommy Lloyd eventually was going to take a head coaching job. I'm pretty convinced he was going to be good. He was smart. He took a really good job. Uh, a job that has a track record and a job that has a lot of possibilities and in a season has taken a lot more talent than perhaps he anticipated. Added to that with uh, good recruiting from a transfer uh, standpoint and uh, has put together, we're in the early stages, so I'm not sure we're right. going to call Arizona a juggernaut just yet and there's, well, it just there's doesn't always, feel like it's going anywhere yeah and there's always a lot that can happen through a variety of different channels but man based on what they have right now on the bench that isn't playing right uh and what may or may not leave it looks like arizona could be in in, in this conversation again next year and then we'll see how good his recruiting ultimately is consistently and if it is good and uh quality players continue to want to come to this program you just have a feeling Arizona's going to be good and in the picture for the foreseeable future. And that's, I think a lot of Wildcat fans believe that's where Arizona should be. And uh, Lloyd has to have them feeling good right now about what the potential is, not just this year. And the potential is really good this year, but mm -hmm. what the years ahead beyond that hold as well. What is Tommy Lloyd's reputation? Players coach plays fast. Player development. Yep. Good point. What's, Good point. What's Ricardo Foy's job with the Suns, who, by the way, are have a lot of good young players. Mm -hmm. player, player development. development. Right, exactly. Um, I don't know what Steve Robinson's, if it was player development or not, but... When you're you the ever, associate head coach at North Carolina for 20 years, I'll say yeah. that you probably did, have done something did, right. Did you ever see a lot of bad Carolina players <laughs> who played more than one year there? Right. Um yeah, they were called walk-ons, and they started the last game because that's Dean Smith's tradition. Um, yeah, so I think what happened is I think, you know, and people say, look at everything they lost. They, you know, they lost to Kenjo. I think they would have kept a Kenjo. I don't think they wanted Jordan Brown. Didn't you know Jordan Brown's averaging almost 16 and 8 at Lafayette? Again. We talked about it. We talked about it a little bit before, but you could probably put together, and this is just kind of a side fun funny little topic you could basically put an ncaa tournament team together of guys who excuse me of uh, uh players that have transferred that are currently in uh, college basketball james akinjo is your point guard he's going to be uh one of these all big 12 this year you've got alex barcelo putting up 18 a game at uh uh, uh byu, BYU. Then you've got um, Terrell Brown Jr., who's one of the three or four best players in the conference. ACOT's averaging 13 and 5 at Boise State. Then you got Jordan Brown, who's putting up 16 and 8 at UL Lafayette. So, I mean, this is a. Uh, you know, to, to Bay Gorner is putting up, I believe, like 8 and 5 as like one of the first guys off the bench at San Jose State. Jamal Baker. Yeah. It's Santa Claus. I mean, so you've got a lot of. You've got Ocho's a lot of playing for a top 20 team. Right, so um, in fact, other right. than Dutrieve, who can't stay uh, in a school, but you also have to wonder, did Tommy Lloyd look at the guys? I can develop that. They have the right attitude. So I don't mind if a really talented guy like Jordan Brown leaves because he's not going to buy in like Christian Coloco is. Right. But the point is, if there is a knock on Miller, it's that he didn't, guys didn't drastically improve over their four years. Some did. 
you know, Solomon Hill, uh, you look at uh, uh, Gabe York, but a lot of guys, you know, Zeus, day one and day and year four, not a huge difference, right? Right, right exactly. Um, I think this is something we can look at w- with Tommy Lloyd. I think this is going to be a selling point with Tommy Lloyd. Okay, you're a, you're a four-star guy. You're a, a top, you know, 80 guy. Right. Come here, play three years. I'll get you the pro because – whether it's this year or next year, he's going to point to Dallin Terry. You know, whether it's you know this year or next year, he's going to, you know, Matt Mulebach may have been a little bit exaggerating, but Pella Larson is going to play for a long time for money. Probably not in America, but you're going to be able to point to guys like that and say, well, you're better. Maybe not better athlete than Dallin Terry, but I think, and that was something Luke was able to do. Right. Luke, Luke could go, if I can put Tom Tolbert in the pros for nine years, I can put you in the pros for nine right. years. And not and even that, if you wanted to look a little further beyond that, and you've got a lot of foreign players on this roster, if they can't make it in the NBA, look at Olsen's track record overseas. That uh, there, were, there are a lot of guys who made a crap load of money who went through the Arizona We talked about it the other program. day. Look at, look yeah. at Corey Williams. Corey Williams was a solid player here. He wasn't like an all-conference, all-American type. He played, what, 10 years overseas in Belgium? Yeah. Couldn't well, you, you know see the, you half know the, of this roster doing the same thing? Right. You know the, you know the stat, so is I believe in the Olsen era of players who left of their own accord, uh, not transferring out and not getting kicked off the team. There's only one multi-year player who didn't end up carving out some kind of professional career. And that scholarship, and that was Justin Wessel because of the knee injury. Right. Wow, I didn't know that. Andrew Zahn played pro ball. I mean, if you want to go. I'm going to call BS on this, William. He played Travis just, Wilson did not play pro basketball. He, he kind of, didn't he get kind of shown the door? Well, he I was. He was left he of their own accord. But if you oh, want I got to count, you, I got you. Flanagan played pro ball and then took more money to go work for Oakley. He played in yeah. Ireland for like two or three years. Right. Um, Guys played, I mean, there were some guys who did not do anything at Arizona who played pro ball for quite a while. Uh, the other exception is, um, what's his face, who ended up playing tight end in the NFL? Bendy uh, Audubon. Those were the two. Of guys right. who left to their own accord, everyone can find a place to play when you went to Arizona. Um, and again, unfortunately for Justin Wessel, he had the, uh, the microfracture surgery back when you didn't come back from microfracture surgery. But all he did was uh, marry a U of A volleyball player and retire to San Diego. So uh, he may, he may run out of all finest. Yeah. Uh, Gene Anderson did not play pro ball or not. I don't count the Globetrotters. He played, but he played, he played before the Globetrotters. He played internationally. Yeah. They all, and sometimes it's weird places. Guys play in Australia and Portugal. And I mean, Guys play internationally from the Olsen because they were so ready to play. Right. And if Tommy Lloyd can be two-thirds of Lute Olsen, I think we'll all take it. Anthony Humbert, you are obviously a guy that is back to the A for a long time because you remember the unique spelling of Travis Wilson. He was also from Moline, Illinois, the Jim Rosborough connection right there. So I next time I get Ros on, I got to ask him about him. But um, Didn't he finish off at one of the MAC schools too? I think in like Illinois State. Yeah, something like something that. Like that. But Shu, you said from day one, and we're, we're going to get to the recruiting aspect here in a second, but Schuster has been an admirer of Gonzaga. I have not – I have uh, – begrudgingly uh, seeded this point that Schuster knew more about this than I did. But he said when, when Tommy Lloyd was hired, Schuster and I were talking pretty much immediately, and he said, oh, I think this is going to be fantastic for him. Let me ask you this, though, Shu. 
What has, if anything, what has surprised you the most about this transition right now from what, you know, Arizona basketball to now what you're seeing from last year to this year? Did you see, like, what what has surprised you the most? I think probably the thing that surprised everybody is how quick and how impressive development appears to have handled and how they appear to have improved uh, from the beginning of the year uh, through on. At, At the onset, you know, there are a lot of folks who uh, figured that Arizona would be a good team, fourth-ish in the conference. They'd be in the tournament, maybe vying for, I don't know, a 7-12 to 12 seed, somewhere in there. They'd be solid. They'd be good. They'd, you know, have wins in the low 20s, very competitive. You know, hopefully they got a little better and that fighting spirit could, you know, uh, get them a game here or there. Uh, but it was pretty clear fairly early on that uh, – Arizona was going to be a problem. So Lloyd's approach and his ability, I think, to simplify. And in the simplification aspect of it, it's helped Arizona to get a confidence that it's wanted to, that it's been able to utilize. And and now, you know, it's not always going to be like this. But when Arizona gets into a flow, they really do make it look easy. And what? I think uh, that's, that's an aspect that very rarely... Uh, did we see with Miller teams is that when Arizona made basketball appear easy. And I think a lot of it, oddly enough, however, is based on a Miller ish principle that has been utilized differently by Lloyd in Arizona. Miller believes in defense too. The Arizona's defense this year has been excellent for Mm -hmm. a variety of reasons. They have athleticism, they have depth, Uh, they're willing to throw a lot of things at you. And there's the difference. They've also, because of Coloco and because of their size on the inside, been a lot more willing to apply pressure further out onto the perimeter, which has allowed them on a fairly consistent basis to get out on fast breaks. And when they've gotten out on fast breaks, they've been able to get into a rhythm. And this is, I think, what was generally lacking through most of Miller's team. That, that, That rhythm aspect, Lloyd allowing this team in general to open things up a little bit, I think has gone a long way toward uh, building confidence. And that's obviously helped Arizona. I think he's also very good behind the scenes too, in a trust capacity. Uh, Miller was a micromanager. We've talked about this on a number of occasions. That's not going out on a limb for everybody. It's a very common thing to be as a coach. Uh, Lloyd has a style and an approach and doesn't want to see kids make repeat mistakes, but if you take a bad shot here or there or you block out in the rebound, I think his approach is, isn't you bleeping bleep bleep. It's more, you know what you did, right? Okay. So let's not do that again. Right. We'll get that control. It's kind of like the conversation is a little bit different. You understand why that didn't work, right? You don't necessarily have to tell, you know, yell at the kid. The, the, usually the kid can figure it out himself. And I think that approach has been uh, one of the very effective things in terms of the way you manage individuals uh, from one extent to another. And, and and clearly for Arizona up to this point, it's been very effective. I think you hit the nail on the head where you said, yes, Miller's teams played some really good defense, but they weren't able to turn that. They, they just got to stop. They weren't able to turn that stop into an easy opportunity the way down there, William. Yeah. If you want to use the Miller, uh, the football comparison, Miller wanted to force you to punt. Uh, Tommy yeah. Lloyd, Tommy Lloyd's trying to force you to turnovers. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think the interesting thing to look about, and you know, going back to 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 your early conversations with Shu about Lloyd, although it's never been really publicized, Mark Few modeled Gonzaga after after Arizona very much so. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of it. There was, I think, some Roy Williams in there as well, um, but Roy and and Lute had very similar philosophies. You could argue until the last few years, Gonzaga was Olson Arizona light. And now Arizona, it, ironically enough, everyone wanted a loot disciple here. They didn't get a loot disciple. They got a Mark Few disciple. But he's probably more of a loot disciple than a lot of the loot disciples would have been. Um, you know, if you look at a Josh Passner team and some people wanted Passner, okay. Uh, they don't they don't look like an awesome team. Uh, they look a little bit like a Calipari team. Really, they just look like a mid middling Georgia Tech. They team. just don't look like a well coached team. I never uh, watched yeah. Josh Pass. I never no, watched but- a Josh Pastner team and say they get it. But if you look at this team from the way he trusts his players, the way he uses his timeouts, uh, the way he uses offense from defense, um, this looks like an Olsen team. The way they pass, the way they're prepared. So in a weird way, and, and, and I know a lot of people were critical of the uh, of the, the administration during the hiring process, they gave Arizona fans what they didn't know they want. And that's, an, in essence, a Lute Olsen disciple who just came from the Mark View coaching tree. Um, so I think that is something that works out well. Now, if you want to talk about what has surprised me, my big question was how would he be at late game decisions? How would he be with the administrative stuff? We haven't seen a whole lot of he, whatever happened with Kim Macon Jr. Looks like he handled it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Whatever has happened a couple times with Kirk Creesa being the new Ricky Anderson hasn't seemed to be a big distraction. Have you ever seen a really, you know, they lost a, you know, they've only had one close game they lost, but did you see anything where you go, man, he got out coached at Tennessee? No, you never see no, that. No, they've had two really bad games and they had a game they got down early. I mean, so granted, we could see a situation where maybe in the tournament he looks overwhelmed late in games, but we haven't seen it because so far the few times Arizona has played close games, you look at Illinois, you look at Oregon, Arizona seemed to be the more prepared team late in games. Now, is that all Tommy Lloyd? I don't know. I think having Steve Robinson next to you probably Ooh. helps. I think having a guy like Jack Murphy next to you who coached, you know, wasn't overly successful at NAU, but he coached what, 100, 200 basketball right. games as a head coach. You know, even Jason Gardner was a head coach at the D1 level. All that, I think, helps. Um, but at the end of the day, Tommy Lloyd, yeah, has exceeded my expectations. And, you know, I thought it was a, a, a pretty interesting hire. Now it, we can, I think we can say it's a pretty great hire. All uh, right. Brad, Mike, do you mind if I get into something fairly quickly here? A little, yeah, real quick. Uh, Let me just, can I just, can yeah, you hold course. that real quick? Let me of just course. get to DraftKings Sportsbook app. They pay the bills. They're where you want to be. You know what? If it's good enough for us, I would hope it'd be good enough. Wow, that sounded condescending. If it's good enough for us. No, if it's good enough for you, it should be good enough for us. I do apologize, everyone out there. DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. Throw down $1 on the fights tonight. And if that T or it doesn't even matter, you get a hundred dollars in free plays. The folks at DraftKings basically said, you know what, Mike and Shu, you suck at giving picks. You're ruining people's pocketbooks right now. Allow us to step in here. And that's what they're doing. That's why it's free money. Hop on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. 
All right, go shoot. Sorry about as that. An, uh, no, 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 no problem at all. As an entertaining note, ever since on this podcast, I said bet against the Pistons. <laughs> You're like the, seven and one. <laughs> the Pistons have been five and zero oh against the spread. So right. take that for what it's worth. Um, right. Often got top of your guys' heads, talking about late-game decisions and the rest of it. Is Arizona really better coached, mm-hmm. or do they have guys who are making fortuitous plays? Example, right. the Oregon game. Creesa has, has a possession at the top of the key where he runs into, I think it's Dale and Terry, and they're struggling to even figure out who's going to hold on to the ball in a game where possessions matter. And then... It almost gets knocked away. Carissa has to get it from half court, then launches a 35-foot three-pointer that happens to go in. I'm guessing that's not exactly how that play was drawn up. Right. Uh, But is it the style that Arizona does that ultimately just kind of wears teams down in the final four minutes? Or are there specific examples of good plays that they've run that come to mind uh, off the top of your head? And I don't mean to put you on the spot because I know top of the head and impromptu can sometimes be difficult to come up with some examples. But I remember, as an example, that Oregon game, Arizona was as lucky as it was hmm. impressive in the last Which, couple minutes in that matchup. You know what it is? I'm going to give you an example right here. And uh, you know what? I wasn't a good high school basketball player, so I'm not going to. But Dick McConnell is generally viewed as is one of the best high school coaches in state history. He made a point at our freshman practice one time that I thought was really interesting, where he said, if I have better players... I'm going to allow you to express yourself out there. It was a big term that he liked to use, express yourself out there. And I think what you do, you don't see a lot of, it's a motion offense. It's a continuity offense that Lloyd's running. But I think his plan is that, yes, I'm not going to run specific plays per se, but you should know what you want to do by this time. And I'm going to give you the advantage of being able to do that. That might be a little bit of a cop-out to your question right there, Shu. But I think that there's, there's a lot of that in there that, you know what, I'm going to, if you think that you can hit this three, if you think that it's right, he puts a lot of trust into his players right there. And again, I didn't do a good job of explaining it. Maybe William can step in and be the Mariano Rivera reliever here. Uh, You know, I would look at it this way. I think a very good example is that Oregon game. Creesa has the problem, time running down. He He knew how much time was on the shot clock. Launches the big three, hits it couple possessions later, Oregon has a chance to, to tie the game. The guy drives the lane and didn't get the shot off. Um, little things like that. So I haven't seen a specific yes. I'm going to X and O here. But I also haven't seen, and I, and, I, and I hate to pick on something, but did you watch the end of the women's game against Colorado? Right. Arizona needs a three, and or I think they need a two, but they mm-hmm. drop a play for Pellington to hit a three. Now, maybe the girl panicked and passed to Pellington and didn't let Sam Thomas come back around, but they got the wrong look for whatever reason. As iffy as Crease's play was late in that game, he made the big play. He was aware of the shot clock. He made a few plays like that, I want to say, down the stretch against Illinois. So I've never seen, at least so far, and we where Tommy Lloyd looks overwhelmed by the situation. And that was my question. How would he, because, okay, let's use another example, Jed Fish. I think Jed Fish, by the end of the year, had Arizona playing as well as they probably could with the talent they had. He John looked, Schuster disagrees with you. He right looked there. overmatched early in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, looked like bad timeouts, bad play calling, 
uh, curious juggling of the quarterbacks he lost to NAU. Um, I haven't seen the moment be too big yet for, for Tommy Lloyd. I think you look at how he handles his press conferences after the game. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily like that he's quoting Nick Saban, but the rat poison. Um, I think it would be real easy to get caught up in a lot of this, and he doesn't. He seems to have his eye on the big picture. So, so far through, you know, what are we at now? 30 games, 28 games. I haven't seen that moment where it looks like the moment's too big for him. It could still happen. Heck, we saw it happen to Loot late in his career. Right. Um, you know, we could be heading back to Chicago. Um, you know, I was there at Rosemont or whatever it's called now. Five players on the court, all th- three of them swear there was a different play called. Um, you know, there was a lack of communication that night in, in, in Illinois. But so far, I don't. I, we haven't seen that. Of course, we haven't seen many close games either. So I also think, though, that it's also shoot. This might be to your point a little bit as well. That when we joke about it all the time, this was one of the few games that didn't that actually went two hours. It seems that every game is an hour and forty <laughs> minutes because and they don't use timeouts. And Schuster and I, Brad, were trying to figure out for a while why are these games only an hour and 45 minutes? And it was funny. My mom was the one that said, and mom does come up with some good stuff. Mom said, I just noticed that Tommy Lloyd never calls timeout. And I think that's a lot about what we're talking about though, about you're giving the freedom into the players. Sean, I mean, we talked about it all the time and I tweeted out yesterday or the day before when Stanford was out of timeouts with eight minutes left. And I said, I remember those days. I mean, this this guy pockets his timeouts and doesn't really want to use them, and I think that's because he believes in letting guys play through their mistakes. There, shoe. Yeah, and I who think else that's, did that? Uh, Lute Olson did that. Lute Olson did, did that. Mm-hmm. Although uh, it went ahead. a little too far at times, though. Not. Yeah, I, think but, yes. I, I think that's and 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 honestly, if let's use the Oregon game as an example, it's a very small sample of size. I get it, uh, but you have that situation at the top of the key where Terry and uh, Carissa look completely kind of off kilter and don't know exactly how they're supposed to come around the screen and the rest of it. If Kerr misses that three-pointer, in addition to turning the ball over near near half court that led to a layup and Oregon actually wins that game, then you're talking about why the crap didn't Lloyd call a timeout in that last minute when it was clear that that entire play was in disarray. So, there are a lot of little things that go on here. You're, you're, you're still dealing with a game that has very important uncertainty with possessions that could go one way or the other, and that's the nature of the NCAA tournament. And again, as good as Arizona's been this year, if the Wildcats don't get to at least the Elite Eight and hopefully the Final Four and beyond, I think one of the possible re- things that we're going to hear, one of the narratives that might pop up is a very Lute Olson-ish narrative that... Arizona was an overachiever in the regular season that when it got up against more physical, talented, uh, raw teams in the NCAA tournament just couldn't ultimately, you know, match what it needed to do. Uh, So there could be a lot of conversation still to go. There's a lot of basketball ahead, but clearly at this point, what Tommy Lloyd has done with the tools that he has and the direction that Arizona appears to be going uh, should make Arizona fans clearly pleased about the present and the future yeah guys again can't thank you all enough it's uh we're gonna be back with you we're schuster and i are gonna be on assignment in las vegas uh, going there william is more than welcome to hop on as always we will be back with you um got some obviously the live streams going on but we'll be up there live in las vegas thursday but uh for william brad alice john schuster 
Can't thank you guys enough. Go to GoPHNX. Get the membership, all the good stuff there. Appreciate you guys. And Shu, Brad, thanks again for always for carrying through here. All right. On that note, we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you.